and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk about friends, but like comics that we've been reading and enjoying lately. This week, my today's comics and I have the honour of talking to the incredible artist of such books as Wind and The Words with James Tully the Fourth, and he's also done some Teenage Mutant Turtles issues. And currently, this week, we talked about his upcoming book, Zoa and the Belly of the Beast, Michael the Aninus. And this was a, a really fun conversation about like, the craft of comics, the craft of Zawa in particular, Michael's particular experiences as a, not, not just an artist, not just a writer-artist, not just a writer-artist colorist, but all, all four, full house, as I call it in the interview, writing, illustrating, coloring, and lettering his own book, Zawa, published by Boom Studios. An incredible achievement, and I know Mighty and I are both massive fans of Wind. So, yeah, this was a really awesome conversation to get to have, and I really hope you'll go check out the book because we we got to read the first issue and we loved it. It should be out today if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, or just yeah, go pick up the the first issue or the future issues or the trade whether you're listening to this. And I hope you enjoy it. Before I let you get into the episode, I'll just give you the synopsis, the first issue, so you have a bit of an idea of what it's about. Zawa and the Belly of the Beast, issue one. Trapped inside her mountain by pollution-spewing factories, the guardian spirit Zawa only has industrial waste to eat, leading her to a better existence of paranoia and destruction. When two siblings from a nearby village help her escape, they'll quickly learn the way to calming Zawa's heart to a well-nourished stomach. Glad award-winning and Eisen award-nominated cut. Michael D. Aliness from Wind Teenage Mutant Turtles crafts a charmingly macabre eco fable about nature, greed, the dangers of retribution, and good food shared among friends. I love how that solicitor puts it, where a charmingly macabre eco fable that's so on point and trying to nail down those descriptors is something that we talk about. And yeah. This was so fun. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed the book. Please go support it. Yeah, apart from that, I'll see you on the other side, as always. Michael, welcome to the, the podcast. I know this is a really exciting one for, for both of us, as we briefly mentioned beforehand, and um, my today. And so we're very excited to talk to you today about your new series. Oh my god. Hi, guys. Yeah. I was just telling Joe moments before getting the link that I, I genuinely don't think I've been this excited for an interview yet. This one just it's got me bubbly inside. And then after – that was before I even read the issue of Zawa and the Belly of the Beast uh, that you sent over this week. And I was already excited just because of my love for wind. So to be able to now read this series uh, in advance and – I mean, I'm just smiling, staring at the cover as I have been every time it pops up on my feed. Um, it was a real joy to have this opportunity. So, so thanks for coming on, Michael. No, thank you guys for having me. And it's gonna be—it's been very weird this whole situation with the with the um, promoting this book because I'm used to have been a two two person team with me and yeah. James, and James takes care of all the the marketing and. Uh, getting in contact with people and sending stuff out. So this is the first time for me, this last couple of months has just been too much, trying to write, draw, color, letter, and market. Oh, I can only imagine. Your own book. Mm. I'm, so, always, I'm always blown away. It's one of the 
common topics on here because we've had a we recently talked with um, Lorenzo DeFelci on about Chroma, mm-hmm. which was another you know solo project, and just all it takes to go into it. Even looking at the the splash page here, it's like written, illustrated, colored, and lettered by um. It, it's the whole mm-hmm. shebang, and I, I personally can't imagine as somebody who who is a writer before they are an illustrator in any way, the thought of being able to balance both of them is insane. But then, like you said, having to take on all the marketing and like the business side, the production side on your own as well, I'm sure that's rather daunting. It is because I'm I'm very bad at it. <laughs> hey, but there's like, a first for everything, right? There's too many firsts this these last couple of months. Yeah. Too many. Yeah, like right now, like as we're speaking, I am in the middle of issue three. So I'm right in the middle of the series right now. Oh my, great time to be dealing with everything else on top of it. Yeah, and waiting, like, was it next week? Week 10 days? Yeah, the 8th. Yeah, so when that day comes around, I have no idea how much work I'm going to be doing on that day. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be waiting for reviews and people and you know see what people say. Like everything I've heard up until now has been great. I'm just waiting for that you know that one sincere bad review. <laughs> you know I always say I, I used to, I work at a comic shop that you know any comic can be for anyone, but not every comic is for everyone. And you know you're gonna have some people that maybe don't click with it for one reason or another. Um, I'm always curious more than anything is whenever I see the boombox imprint is how readership is because other than wind, the boombox stuff that I see, and I don't even know, is wind actually boombox? Wind wind is a weird one because it's a boom studios series, but when it comes out in collections, it's a boombox collection. See, okay, that's why I thought, because I was like, I feel like I've seen both on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you did. Well, yeah, so, um, you know, I know that, from my shop's experience, I've seen kind of various levels of interest in it from the age ranges. I, I think some mm-hmm. people worry that Boombox can be young adult versus all ages. And I think there's a very distinct difference. Yeah. I'm not sure because I think also Giant Days is Boombox. Yeah. I still need to read that. That was actually Great my series, by the way. I know you just had an mm-hmm. episode or something recently on it too, didn't you? Yes, I did. Back in August, I want to say recently but yeah that's lumberjanes also maybe yeah lumberjanes is the other yes. one i i've been curious about lumberjanes and i saw that back in 2019 for the first time i was like oh this is just like lovely little cheerful art and i just mm-hmm. wasn't used to seeing that i'm always grew up seeing like marvel and dc so around 2019 when i started getting into indie books um I didn't see a whole lot of stuff like that. So Lumberjanes was one of those early ones where I was like, oh, this is a lovely style. I've never seen like Boombox, but I'm going to keep my eye out for these kinds of books. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, yeah, it is Boombox. I just checked it out. Nice. It's, um, I don't know, these these labels are weird. Like trying to get, mm-hmm. you know, label your own book. What what it, What is it exactly? Like I didn't know what Zawa is exactly. Because it is young adult, but it's kind of dark, and it will get darker as it goes. It has its cheerful moments. It is fun, cute, talks about food, being friends, but also there's a very big political underline with uh, climate change and <clears throat> over what's the word I'm looking for? Over consumption production. No, over, yeah, overconsumption, but also what's it when you overproduce um, um, vegetables and stuff and you, like, the soil gets oh, destroyed? I, I've lost it. 
I know exactly but, what you're talking about, but I've lost it. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I'm, I'm sure there is a word for it, but I yeah. mean, not you so mean, it, though. So yeah, it talks about these kind of issues in a dystopian fable-esque type, you know, young adult story. But it's serious. Like this is kind of like when I when I um, when I when I marketed when I pitched the book to Boom, it was Guillermo del Toro meets Miyazaki. Oh, <laughs> that's so appealing just immediately and i see it in every page from that first issue okay that's good but every miyazaki story always talks about the environment yes and that's one thing i didn't realize until i started working on on the book because i wasn't i didn't i didn't intend to talk about the environment it was about food but then as i started you know, writing more and then planning out the issues. I think it just suddenly got into this whole, um, you know, destruction of the environment. And this is Zawa is the representation of nature in this story. So I didn't realize I was doing this story until I actually started writing it, which was kind of weird. That's fascinating because of just how evident it feels in the first issue that this was about the environment mm-hmm. as much as it is about the food and, you know, the consumers and the production and the stuff that you're talking about with all that. Um, that's really, really fun to know. I'd see, and I'm always curious because I'm like, well, I don't, I can't think of the. Oh, we we interviewed uh, Dakota Brown and uh, Lane Lloyd about Grandma Tilly's Helltech Mech, and I was like, well, what came first, the grandma or the Helltech Mech? And it's funny to see how those things come together. And so for this, it's like, well, to know that this was focused more on the food and that the environmental side just kind of slipped its way in there naturally, it it makes sense because I mean, when I think I posted in my. Uh, you know, post about it that mm-hmm. I mean, the last two few pages of this book is especially where you're like, there's there's no joke. This does get pretty dark and intimidating. But then, mm-hmm. even to the final panel, it shifts tone again, which I adored in every way, shape, and form. Look, it, my my first draft, Zawa wasn't wasn't even in the first issue. Really? Yes. <laughs> she was like just in the background of the story. Like there was a, a beast being held captive, but she wasn't really a big part of the first issue. It was all about setting up the story, setting up the teenagers, setting up the city. And then my editor was like, hey, you might want to, you know, get some Zawa in there. So yeah, yeah, you're right. But, you know, I, I think I've been, I've been used to working on Wind for so long that I got used to every issue being 45 pages. Yeah. So when I got huh. to the here, I was like, I gotta, I gotta play with twenty five. Yeah. And my just the way I was telling the story is like, she's not gonna show up. It's like I can't put her in twenty five pages. It's not her time yet. So then I was like, okay, I'll put her in the last five pages. And then my editor was like, can we get her in the first scene? I was like, I'll try my best. <laughs> I'll see what I can figure out. <laughs> oh, it's perfect though that first scene. That's I love the order that that took place. So the you got her in the last five pages, and then the opening scene came came in afterwards mm. wow yeah, a lot of because i've never done this before oh this but it's so well it, and it seems seamless without having this conversation i would have never i was like this is perfect for a first written drawn all the whole shebang you, you knew exactly what you're doing but to hear how it kind of fell into place over time because i think that that initial introduction we get even if it's not a full introduction you know it's more shadowed and mm. monstrous seeming um but it's very, very. I, I don't even have the words for because I'm looking at it and just the yeah. the shot of the hands coming through the bars with these little pastries yeah. that have little like grins on them almost. Yeah, it, it, it all make it all makes sense. That's the thing. It, like 
when mm. I, I didn't I didn't intend that scene to be there. It was going to come up like in a flashback at some other point. So the scene was going to happen, but I just didn't want it to be the first first three pages of the book. I think it landed really, really well. And then as soon as we break that, what I would say, almost like prologue scene in this issue, you get the first shot of the city that we're going to be exploring with oh, these yeah. characters. And oh my gosh, my jaw hit Gold the floor. Fish. It's <laughs> stunning. Like wind and everything in wind, I already knew I was going to be in love with the art of this book. But then I saw that cover. I was like, these colors are a little bit something else. And I, I, I was hopeful that that cover A for this first issue bled through into the art style. And oh my gosh, this palette on just this, what is it, page uh, six is breathtaking. It's a lot though. <laughs> it's, a lot of, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of color management, I can tell you that. I, I can't even fathom what it takes because it oh, yeah. all just seems like it's so natural. It feels, uh, one of the things I, I wish I could find new words for is that it feels lived in. Yeah, I do like the lifting because I'm not good with real life stuff. Uh, everything I draw has an organic take to it, an organic shape, hmm. because I just I can't deal with straight lines. I don't even use a ruler when I'm drawing. Everything is hand drawn. Everything is just freehand. I love that. So even the buildings and everything is like I'm just going to draw this line and it just looks right. I'm not going to overthink it. It's going to you know no, nothing's going to be pristine. Everything's going to be you know broken and rusty and you know not fract not freshly made like i, I had um these last uh, in the third issue i have a car and i've never really drawn cars in comics because it's always been like i've actually never had the opportunity to draw a car because all the stories that i do are kind of fantasy like so i was gonna you know trying to figure out what kind of car is this going to be can i draw it organically do i have to do straight lines so i made a i found a car that fits perfectly for the story that's awesome. But it has like this weird lived-in feel that you're talking about. Like that, and seeing you mentioned that rise, I'm looking at uh, our character speeding around the corner on his mm-hmm. sidecar bike with the. That's the Akira shot. The Akira shot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Got the tunes coming from the bike. The I love the lettering the on on the sounds throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I'm always uh, late to recognize how impactful lettering is to me, but thanks to Joe, I'm. I'm a lot more keen on it. Um, mm. Joe's helped me a lot with my language for talking about comics. I feel like I used to talk like I didn't know what I was talking about. And sometimes I, I mean, still find I myself funny. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, I often feel like I, I, I end up using like the same sorts of words. And then like in each review, I'm like, and I'm using the same sorts of words, but I'm, I mean, it's slightly differently this time and like slightly differently that time. And mm. I think like, in regards to the lettering, that 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 was something that like initially, well, after like the, the fantastic cover, that sort of like struck me about the issue was getting to that credits page and and as Mighty said, seeing like the written, like drawn, coloured and lettered by and because I, I know like a lot of people have like noticed now sometimes when if someone just like writes and draws something which is, like, incredibly impressive by itself, when they often have, like, colorists and letterists on the project as well. And then if they're, like, writing and illustrating and coloring, it's, like, a whole thing. But to see, like, almost like a full house, I guess, maybe, um, because I, I didn't realize that you were going to be that letteringist yourself. And so I, mm. I saw that, and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's just, like, another level up of well, is, trying to, like, do a four. 
every book I've ever done, I've always done I've always done the lettering on the sound effects. They've always been my own. I've never let anyone else touch the sound effect because I always wanted to be a part of the of the of the artwork. That would explain so, why they fit so damn well. Yeah, because it's in there, or it could even be like behind a character, or like it's a part of the of the storytelling. The way the way that I do my my let my um, sound effects. So when we talked about you know who's going to be lettering the book, I was like, look, I'm basically already done half of the lettering myself and i always do half the lettering so it's it's only balloons and captions from here on yeah and so i just said i'll, I'll do it myself you know I'll, we'll figure this out this is my first time doing it professionally every everything every other time i've actually um lettered something has just been like on short stories or before i started work in the american market so you know we talked it out with my editor it was like Right. What do I need to do? What are, what are the rules that I need to follow so that the art, the design team can get my files correctly? So we talked it out, and um, and even the font that I'm using, I I made myself. So that's also my handwriting on the. Wow, because I was like, I've never seen a font like it before. I love it, especially I'm looking at the uh, first shot inside of the Blackbird Bakery, and the mm. the capital N is really sticking out to me, especially. Yeah, some of those. Look, it's not perfect. I can tell I you that. Love it. <laughs> It's that's the beauty of it, though. It's just like you said, no straight lines, no ruler on it. You know, it's it, it's it, it it feels organic. It really does. I feel like if a designer comes in and sees that that font, he's going to say, this is all wrong. <laughs> Everything about this font is wrong. But, you know, I just wanted to be 100 percent my own. I didn't want to go into the, you know, trying to find the right font for this. And and even like half the words in the balloons, I hand uh write them myself to make them look bigger or you know to to you know make some words pronunciate differently so that even that was like it's all part of a different you know way of storytelling and even the way that the the tails from the balloons have their own like little um life of their own like they really do yeah they're a lot more characteristic than pretty much any other balloons i see in in most Mm. comics these days one of the other things in your living that I was curious about is, um, and it, it seems, if I'm not mistaken, to mostly take place when talking about the bakery goods, is the oh, colors yeah. for the different ingredients. Mm. I don't know if you had anything deeper with it or if it's just a aesthetic choice, but it makes me almost taste the pastries that are being discussed. Okay, that's good. That's good because the the initial idea was just to like make them bold, and then I was like adding different colors to various words. Like the plan was, I had like when someone said a monster, I had it in green. Like I had different colors for different words, and then my editor was like, "No, you know, we don't need to color every single word because I was like going off the edge. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm adding colors everywhere. I think I would get carried away with that." <laughs> So he was like, let's just let's just keep it for the foods. I'm like, okay, I'm talking about enough foods as it is, so it kind of makes sense. It, it fits really well. You know, is that pumpkin and vanilla, and the colors immediately bring those mm-hmm. foods to mind, and then, you know, some chopped up veggies, and it's, you know, this this harvest green, and it's, it, it's just, it was a fun choice. It was something that made me smile every time I got to them, and like I said, it really does, it's different than the bowl, because you can have, I made a new Guardian cookie, and the new is nice, big, and bold, and that extra you know handwriting you did and then guardian cookie still stands out on its own as if like you're getting more than just reading it you're really getting an extra depth to this word and it's always with the food so i think it just actually triggers my like senses to make me think i'm 
eat getting ready to eat some food okay okay that's good to hear that this is the nice thing like because i'm getting to hear people's opinions and i'm on the first issue and i'm currently working on the third issue and writing the fourth issue so i'm getting like the feedback i'm thinking okay these these parts are working so i'm like these these little notes will work in my mind subconsciously as i go along for the next three months as i'm finishing finishing off i love that Hmm. well no and it's funny yeah go ahead because um i i I think it's really fun how unsatisfying you have those like little details that you don't sort of immediately notice but you like once they're pointed out to you or, or once you sort of give it another read you suddenly notice them and like the craft of making like a comic like this because like with the the, the tales on the, the the speech balloons mm-hmm. i hadn't originally noticed those on like the first read earlier but then it, literally like as you were saying it i just suddenly noticed i was like oh and then, and then like flicking through the issue i was like oh i can't unsee it now they're all so <laughs> squiggly and, and i and i love it i think it's like in general it mm-hmm. just creates such a like cohesive reading experience which is like really exciting when you've got that like singular like creative mind on there um which, which is just always really exciting well we'll see we'll see how it goes <laughs> because i'm still in the the, the chaos at, at the moment like i wish i wish time timelines and deadlines and everything would have worked generally in the comic scene it would be a little bit more um you know bigger longer because like i started working on this book in april and wow. those first like two three months was basically just building up the first issue it took me so long to get that first issue perfect get it you know drawn because i was still like figuring out you know what colors am i going to be using under every scene on different places i was like building things as i go so the first issue took me so long to get ready and now we're at the point where I'm like, okay, now we're back to the normal wind schedule. One page a day. <laughs> keep on going. Keep on, you know, keep everything like running along. Um, it would have been nice. Like generally, I think the comic scene should be, the comic industry, not scene, should uh, keep better, dead, better deadlines. But that's the way, that's the way this beast rolls. It always makes yeah. my jaw hit the floor yeah. when I see people posting on their social media. I like, just finished this issue for you know one of the one people that comes to mind is uh, jason sean alexander whenever he finishes up a philadelphia issue or uh jacob phillips finishes a that texas blood issue they'll post about it i'm like dude that issue's like almost out how how do you guys work on these tight deadlines and I, I, so would you say that taking it on on your own with that first issue did take longer than it would be for something like the first issue of wind having james along with you um well let's see the the wind issues are 45 pages true so i need around two months max for each issue and that's basically two issues so it's basically an issue a month which is normal for me like a whole book of wind would take me around 10 to 11 months which is around 250 pages which is very very quick because in if you put it all down it's it's basically 11 issues in size so yeah it's it's uh there's a lot of running but also if you don't run you don't you know make those decisions like i do a lot of hard pressing decisions because i have to do the pages and I have to draw this right now. So I'm, today's the day I'm going to figure things out and there's no way out of it. Yeah, really like um, lights that fire. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's good and, and bad at the same time. Like it's good to run 
because you, you know, once you're, once you're running, there's no stopping. But at some point you're like, I'm stuck. What do I do now? Because I still have to do a page today. So then you're suddenly running around and thinking, all right, I'm just going to skip this page. I'm going to go to a different page and I'll figure out the other one tomorrow. So there's a lot of, you know, moving around, but most of the, like, especially the way I draw, which is kind of weird. I draw linear. So I started with page one and the last page I'll draw would be the last page of the issue. So that just makes go, sense to me. It, it's not good, though. Yeah? Because there's a lot of learning as I go along. Okay. Like, the first time I draw a character is on page, like, two. And then as I go along, I start to evolve with the character, and I understand him a little bit better or her. And then I draw in little parts of, you know, little, you know the way they talk, the way they emote, the way, they, the way their hands are. And if when I'm looking at the comic, I can see all these these things happen. Because from the first time they show up until the last time they show up, that's the the whole progression of this character being thought out. But if you are smarter, you can jump around. Like, I'm going to draw the first 10 pages. I'm going to draw the last two pages. I'm going to draw, like, four random pages from here. But that will keep the art consistent. It will keep it in a different, on, a, on, a, on a level and not this constant, he's getting better. The world is getting more fleshed out as it goes. You know, and I never would have thought of that because, again, like I said, I just art is not my strong suit. So mm-hmm. to think about that, that that makes that unfathomable process make a lot of sense on uh, why you would want to aim for that. Because in my, yeah, my mind, things very linear. linear mm-hmm. So that in my mind, I'm like, I can't just, you know, if I was thinking about writing a story, I wouldn't want to write uh, chapter seven before I write chapter one through six in at any point that feels like mind-boggling mm-hmm. to me but i i totally understand the way you worded that that makes it make instant sense that you know as you get used to it especially i'm trying to see if i can notice it and i can't because, because first, i don't think my eyes can notice it. Because you'll, you'll notice it on issue three by issue three oh. yeah because i'm like okay oh, yeah. i'm gonna keep an eye on like leo's hair and face and see if i but that's but a, even that's then, a good I think that's yeah. a good one to point out because he has he hasn't had that much screen time as a character. He shows up he, he shows up on a couple of pages on each on each issue, and now on the third issue he shows up more. And I kept having to look back. I was like, "How did I draw him again? Like, <laughs> how much stubble does he has? What does he have earrings? Oh yeah, he does have earrings. Like, I forget how he's drawn. And as I draw him more times, things start to be more simplified. Like. I might have drawn him the first time he showed up with more detailed hair and more detailed like bits of his clothes. But as he goes along, things get streamlined because I don't have to do all these over detailing. Like, no, no, he wears this, 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 and it's like this line, this line. That's his pants, and this is his shoes. But but the first time I showed him, like I had to like draw his shoes a little bit more, you know, more detail. His hair a little bit more detail. I think his hair changes a little bit as it goes. And also Thatcher's hair changes a little bit as it, as it went on. I think that's what's really exciting when talking to creators about these sort of indie comics, basically meaning like everything outside the big two from stuff mm-hmm. from like big publishers, it's like Boom Studios to like Kickstarters. And this is maybe sort of like a, a wider topic, but the idea of like sometimes from Marvel and DC, specifically like Marvel and DC readers, people that only read those comics, sort of just taking like issues in comics for granted sometimes, just sort mm. of seeing like issues of Amazing Spider-Man being like 
pumped out to, for lack of a better phrase, every couple of weeks at, at the most, at least. Like, I mean, sometimes they've done even more frequently and just like how sort of regular that is and how much of almost like a, of a machine it is. And that's not to like discredit any of like their work. We've got people working on that title, but more to illustrate the idea of like when you have like Kickstarters and it's like they, they're kickstarting like one issue and this is like an issue as a, like an artifact in itself or yeah like something like this where it's like so where, where it's an original property where you don't just have um all of that like well building like already there is not you're not just picking up with an established character you're sort of starting out you say like having to build it all up from, from scratch and not even with, with anyone else which so it feels like seating the obvious, but I think sometimes it can be hard to probably like appreciate that and like well, register that. Well, this way, with like with Marvel and DC stuff, I it's not as concrete as you think because you might have like the main costume yes, of a character and that's it. And then if they go back to their house, every artist will draw a different house. Yes. Because there is no blueprint for the bloody place where the character lives. It's whatever the, the whatever the artist you know decides to do that moment. There is no blueprint on on things that you'd think would be better to if there was like some sort of you know layout. Like this is Peter's apartment. This is where he lives. He has this room here where he keeps his costumes, and this room where he does, you know, he has a red, he has a dark room where he, you know, develops film. I don't know. So that's kind of things that you'd think that would be, you know, available for everyone working on the series, but it's not because there is no, there isn't anything linear for some for the next artist to pick up, except for like the main look of characters. I don't think I would have ever caught that in a million years. I never would have stopped to think, how come Peter's apartment isn't consistent? In this run of Spider-Man or something like that. Yeah, because you probably don't see the apartment that much. You don't see it enough, also. and whenever you do, it doesn't matter because you're like, it doesn't matter what his room looked like last time if they change it up because mm. it's just Peter's room, and as long as it's believable to be it in this issue, it doesn't matter if it looks slightly different ten issues ago when there was a different artist drawing it, or whenever I was drawing it and didn't bother to look back because it's not something that is held to be like a continuity thing necessarily. Mm. But the Batcave is. But the bad cave, yes, it is. See, yes, yeah. The, the example to, I always to love. A point, to a point, like you know, there's X amount of things. You know, there's big screens, there's a Batmobile, there's a cave-like aesthetic, there's a big penny, there might be a dinosaur. Like there's X amount of things that have to be in there for you mm-hmm. to know this is a bad cave. Mm. But the layouts change from arc to arc or <laughs> multiverse to multiverse. Right. Everything changes, but there's you know some key elements that stay that stay there. But with the, most of the characters, they don't have this. Like X Men, there's nothing. They don't have anything stable other than it's a mansion and they have an underground facility. Right. I don't think there's any. The example I always love mm-hmm. is when like thinking about like The Simpsons as, as, as sort of like as, as a TV show, and where like episode to episode. Like Springfield as a town, this sort of you'll have like the key like features like like Moe's Bar and like the church mm-hmm. and like the town square. If you haven't seen the show, um, if anyone hasn't seen it, but but then like the geography will like slightly change depending on like, the needs of the story. Like one week that there, there's a mountain like nearby for some reason, or there's this and that, or like sometimes the 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 yard is like really big for some reason, and, and then next week it'll go back to normal and. I, I, as you say, I think it's really interesting when you have those that like the balance between like the consistency and just sort of like 
yeah, like doing doing what you need to and what you want to do is of telling a story. And I, I know I think it's always really interesting when you see those conversations because I think it's sort of like a spectrum. Some people really crave like consistency with those sorts of things, and some people like don't mind as much. And I I sort of like appreciate both ends. But I think that's where it's sort of it's, especially it's, when you can change it up. It's it's hard. Like I get in my head about all this stuff, and especially with this book. It's been a nightmare as it goes because I'm like, this is the bakery. This is an amazing shot shot of the bakery. This this first page with the bakery, great. I do all these vending machines, and then I have like I'm on the sixth page. I'm showing the bakery. Like, why did I choose this layout? Why did <laughs> I put the, Why did I put these vending machines right here? Now I'm going to have to keep on drawing the same stupid images that I set up in the first issue <laughs> on these vending machines, and I'm try it's like driving me insane because every time I've got to open up that first couple of pages. And I got to look at those vending machines. I'm like, all right, there's like three here. There's two here. There's a door here. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Meredith McLaren talking about the tattoos in Black Cloak. Oh. She hated herself for giving tattoos to characters because it's one of her hardest things to draw. I started asking people if they'd rather draw. Um, always have to have a book where a character has tattoos that you're constantly having to remember and draw or have to have a book where there's at least one like crowd scene in every issue just because the conversation really led that way i have uh, two panels with crowds on this page that i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) and it's already a pain in my ass because i've already like i've done like the the rough layout and and i'm like great this is going to take me forever forever to do all these little faces why did i choose this but it's like the story told me that this is the shot like i have to have this shot where all the crowd is here and you can see their expressions and i was so excited for that page from the reader's perspective but for you i just i don't envy it at all (laughs) no it's gonna take me like at least an hour and a half just to draw the faces oh. and then when, when i get down to like all the the coloring i'm like oh my god now i'm gonna put different colors for every person see that's the thing like, like you have such creative character designs and they're so unique across the board having already read wind i was like already eager to see these kinds of character designs pop back up but not a single person here looks like they're from wind they all look like they're straight out of zawa and that's like mm-hmm. for it to still be so distinguished um with those character designs i'm assuming that a crowd scene has to be like sickening oh, yeah yep like yes yesterday i did i had a um i had a double page where um Zawar and thatcher are going through the city and i was like great now i've got to put all these little story elements in the city to show you know what's going on in the city why the people are unhappy where they live. I was like, oh, great. Now you got to draw this teenager, and then you got to draw this person, and this person is doing this, and then this person. I was like, this is only one panel. <laughs> so then I got to, like, this other panel with like, all these people. I'm like, okay, so you've got to be correct. you got to, you know, keep your diversity. So here is one person here. This person's a worker. This person's a young person. This person's older. And, like, like, like every two seconds, I was like creating a new person. And now I'm thinking, I have to keep this consistency now because all these random characters are suddenly showing up in the book. But I have to like remind myself that when I show this crowd scene, that's why I'm freaking out. I'm going to have to show a couple of the same people that I've already drawn the previous page. Right. 
So I'll be happy to get away from the crowd scene <laughs> once I'm done <laughs> with these couple of pages. I bet. Mm. I bet. The rest of the like, this issue has like five five characters, I think. It's like that always funny thing when people sort of try to relate comics to like film and TV, and they're like, "Oh, in comics you have no like visual effects budget," and then the artist is there like crying in the corner because <laughs> given them too many crowd scenes, like. As a writer, there's a crowd scene, and I'm just like, this is going to take me a whole day. <laughs> yeah, that was one. It was, it's the same interview Kelly Thompson was talking about, the like final act of her Captain Marvel run having a lot of the brood showing up. She's like, I'm sorry, but I need to have a literal swarm of these people throughout this entire like arc pretty much so i i can't fathom what it must be like but hey on the bright side you only have yourself to blame because this is fully yes. your story this time yeah that's that that's the running joke that i keep having with my editor <laughs> because i keep saying terms like when when it when the first reviews come out whatever anyone has to say it's all my fault i have <laughs> It's like if anyone says anything bad on any part part of this book, it's just me. There's no, hey James, you messed up. <laughs> it's just me. I don't know, man. I don't know how anyone could say anything bad because I've been sitting here for the last like ten minutes, staring at just the back cover of the book, wondering how I didn't already just drool over it, staring at it yesterday when I read it. Oh, it's so fun. It is, and it's something that like. I think I'm one of the few people who really appreciates when a book has a, a, an amazing back cover because some books, they just, you know, we know if it's a big two, it's going to be a watch ad or some mm-hmm. game ad. And then when it comes to the indie book, sometimes you have uh, a unique symbol on the back of each issue, or even if it's just a color change on a similar design. But this is just like, I just want to hang this up on my wall. Wait till issue five. Are the, are the back covers changing each time? Yep. Michael. I know, right? <laughs> dude. <laughs> Every issue has extra elements on the back cover. That's amazing. I can't wait. I'm genuinely so excited. And it's issue five will be the final issue, correct? Yeah. So the all the elements five or will be six. on that. Yeah, so every issue you get will have something extra. Oh, I'm so cover. excited. So that on the and final cover, it will be just a, a, a collage of different things. That's so cool that you, you mentioned that because... I remember a couple of years ago, one of my favorite series um, ever like, came out from, from Image, Dan Waters, Casper Wingard. Uh, oh, I know car. those. By the way. Yeah, I was like pilots. Um, and and that, that was a really fun about that series when you had, like, they just all kept adding things to the back cover, like, yes. Um, what's the word? Like graffiti, like stickers mm. and, and things. Because that was part of like, the whole, like, like, yeah, like, the whole aesthetic of the, the comic. And that was a really. That was a really cool part of it, and uh, I guess while, while I'm on this tangent, I remember I think Kaya, when Wes Craig had for like the second arc, they had like connecting back covers. I, I haven't put them all together yet, but yeah. I, I remember like at the start of the arc, it was like, oh, they're going to be like connecting. So I was like, oh, exciting, but I need to look at those all together. I have all the issues. I haven't read Kaya yet, but I've been collecting all the issues. Oh, it's fun. Where did I put them? I, I know that I just picked up the, the last one a couple of days ago. I've heard great things about Kaya. I only got to read the bit that was in the Image Anthology for the first three issues, so I like got the introduction to that those couple of characters, but I wasn't able to keep up with the rest of the anthology to see where they went and then couldn't check out Kaya when it came out. But 
uh, I know Joe, you've been saying real good things, and I got a one of the subs at the shop is just really adores it. All right, here it is. Let me see. I've got, I've got up until issue eleven. So ten, ten. Oh wait, hang on. Where are the first issues? Here they are. I'm going to feel stupid now because I haven't read it for so long. Oh, yeah, so where's issue one? Yeah, so issue, issue seven off. through eleven was yeah. the second half, and then he's done. Okay, so one... One, one through five is the first arc, and then they had a standalone issue, and then seven through eleven. And then oh, he also changes his covers. All right, I didn't notice that he changed the back covers because I haven't read it yet. Okay, so every cover, every back cover is different. That's cool. Okay, so seven. All right, seven, eight. Oh yeah, they do connect. Eight, nine. What? While we're talking about K, I, I always really like how it has the, the synopsis of each issue on the front. Uh, the, the design of the, the issue covers is just always really satisfying. I never paid attention. I thought those were always pull quotes on the front. That's no, cool. That that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh, Joe, and there's like a recap. That. Holy crap. And there's like, a re- there's like recaps on the inside page, which, which is, again, something you might take for granted if you read a lot of Marvel, but a lot of indie comics don't have recaps and DC doesn't have and also every back cover has the um the synopsis for the series yes so if you, if yeah, you yeah like, like the overall that, yeah it's, it's like both that is like the issue specific semester and then also like the general series pitch mm. and issue yeah, one cool. has quotes on the back interesting has like well, you had that quotes. so close you're able to pull that out and check yeah, because it's like one of the few issues that I've been buying lately. Nice. I normally buy a lot of trades, but I pick up random stuff, uh, random issues that I try to check out. But Kaya has been on my list since the beginning because I um, I helped with, I, I was a was it backer on his Kickstarter or something. Oh, nice. For Kaya, and that was like three years ago or something. Oh, very it's cool. Ba- so it's basically the first issue, but without colors. Oh, Ooh. awesome. See, I didn't know that yeah. was. That it's always fun finding more and more stories like that that I just I didn't realize had some form of crowdfunding or outside of like regular, you know, going straight to one of the publishing companies mm-hmm. and you know getting their story published. I know it seems that Massive is doing a lot of Kickstarter books and bringing them to direct market now. Um, so it's always fun to learn more. I didn't know that about Kaya. Yeah. I mean, you got to start from somewhere. And right. He was doing yeah. Deadly Class for, for how long? So he was like probably just kicking around an idea and see if he can make it work and see if people like it. So he took a really long time to actually get to the point where, where he actually put it out. But he must be like really, really far ahead because I didn't realize that Kaya was going to be ongoing. Yeah, I thought it was a limited okay. series. I thought it was like an eight-issue series when it first got solicited. Mm. So I imagine like he when when he put the first issue out, he might be like eight issues in. Since that's how it, it feels so like the process should be. Like that's what makes sense to me. Like, oh cool, creators have this stuff that they get to work on, and then they once it's done, it's released, and then you don't have to worry about like oh no, something got delayed. But it, it, that's one of those things. Like I, I, it makes sense why the industry works the way it does to some extent, but it also like scares the ever loving hell out of my ADHD and executive dysfunction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've heard the image. You have to have like three issues ready to go yeah. before they solicit it. So yeah, it's they just want to be safe, stuff. right? Yeah, because like my editor probably like when we started this because we started in April. I don't because in my mind, when the first issue was coming out, I thought I would be nearly done. <laughs> so because I was like 
it's only like 130 pages, 150 pages. I don't know how, I don't know how much it comes down to in the end because the last three issues are bigger because <laughs> I needed more pages. Um, just so you know, it's an extra four pages on the last, last three. I won't complain. So when, when I started, I was like, okay, when issue one comes out, it's not going to be a big deal because I'll be drawing the last issue at that point. I'll be done. But I didn't realize, you know, the amount of time it would take me to actually set everything up do all the little, you know, find out how to break down the story, how to write it. There's a lot of learning happened in the first couple of months. Um, but these deadlines normally are given because of the, the way the industry works. They want to recoup their costs as fast as possible. Right. So, yeah, if it comes out, if it, like with Image, if they do three issues, so when the first issue comes out and I worked on the fourth issue, or the, actually, I think with Image it's three issues in the can before they announce. So that right, would be, yeah. so when the first, that, that would be the way I wanted it to be. So that would be um, when the first, last issue, when the first issue comes out, you'd be working on the fifth. So you'd be like way ahead. It'd be five months ahead. Yeah. See that timeline makes a lot more sense to me. As far yeah. as like intimidation goes. <laughs> mm, I'm just used to this. I figure you gotta be at some point. I mean, the way you talk about pumping out the wind issues, and getting a book out in what you said about 11 months. Yeah. That's because those, I, I never really think about it, but I always appreciate it whenever the issue actually comes out that, oh, yeah, this is a thicker book. Um, but I'm always happier for a, a denser read anytime I can, um, which totally brings me to, I think, Joe, this might be the, the longest we've ever gone in a podcast without having the creator oh, really? just tell us what the book is about. Um, <laughs> So, Michael, if you want to give us like a little pitch of what exactly Zawa on the Belly of the Beast is about, because we usually do that at the very beginning, and I just registered that we mm. totally didn't. <laughs> I think we'll have to mention the solicit in the intro just to read through it, just to give people a bit of a, a primer, hopefully. Last year. Totally. I'm I'm still very bad at this. (laughs) So, Zawa and the Belly of the Beast is an. I'm I'm forgetting half the things I've written down. Is an. uh, Is a echo. One minute. It's a dystopian echo fable. I think that's where we've locked it down. About a mountain deity called Zawa who's been trapped by the mayor of a industrious city and uh, has been forced to clean up the spillage from his factories until one day a couple of teens break into his facility and they accidentally set Zawa free. And from this point onwards, uh, Zawa has to come has to come to the conclusion if she's going to destroy humanity or make friends and eat food and save them. I think, I think that was great. I forget. I'm not good at this. Hey, there, like you said, you got to get used to it somehow. This little run of it, you're not usually the one doing all the marketing stuff for it, but now you get to talk about it more. And what better place to practice than just on the spot? <laughs> yeah. I'm normally like, Wh- whatever James says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's funny because. Oh. Go on. Go, Go on. for it, Joe. Um, yeah, because like at, at the beginning, I mean, I talked about how I didn't know that you'd be lettering it until I actually got to the credits page, but. Also, like at the beginning, when you when you said about that, I hadn't sort of like clocked that either. Like that you'd have to, there's sort of like so many things you have to like take on when developing something like this, especially like on your own. I think that's just at least like very very commendable to be able to develop that on on your own for for better or worse. Hopefully for better, but I think it, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be fine. I mean, spoiler alert: 
Boom has already asked me if I got another story. Oh, wondering. So, and I'm like, hey guys, you know we still have two more win books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've kept my, my wind talk to a minimum because I'm so excited for mm. Zawa, but my goodness, if we if we really take a second to address address it, Michael, uh, mm-hmm. especially this last volume of wind, I think issue three is the one that is like forever burned as one of my favorite issues of the entire run. The issue three in Throne in the Sky, I believe, is the scene that has the characters in the hot spring. Oh, yeah. You have the prince <laughs> not wanting scene. to go in and catch the weird. Mm-hmm. And what seemed like maybe it was only even initially intended to be this amazingly beautiful scene of queer representation and breaking down some stigmas around it in a very accessible way also became this analogy for stuff that I struggle with, with um, you know, seeing ableism in the same light, people afraid to catch somebody else's um, disorder or yeah. disability. And it just resonates so hard. Every single issue of that book has been so stellar. And I jumped in late, so I didn't get to read it until uh, volume two, book two was already out for months by the time I finally got to pick both of them up. And I read straight through it just in time for volume three to come out. And it, it, it is just an absolute joy every single time so um when i said i was overly eager for this interview it's because uh we've talked to so many amazing creators and it's amazing to see that list grow but to have someone who i've seen so much that i would say not just resonates with me but also inspires me um is just amazing so i'm beyond thrilled that we had this opportunity to to chat today um and I, I had to get that out of the way before we get back into it. But while Wynn was on topic, it, it needed to come out. No, oh, thank you so much. And it's 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 is a thing that I have to deal with that you read it so quickly. <laughs> you read it in like basically a year, all three books. Yep. Wow. It's that's, crazy to think, but well, and I read the first two books in one sitting, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, wow. Oh my god. I was I ate it up. I was so sold by the I had heard such great things, I was like, I know I'm gonna love it, and I had already been hooked on James's work across the board up into that point, I was like, I want to see how this dude manages to write something as daunting and terrifying as like something is killing the children, nice house on the lake and department of truth can write this colorful, bright, wonderful, wondrous series like, like wind. And I was just floored, but the art had already drawn me and I was like, I want to check this book out. And then learning that it was James on it from my boss. Cause I had moved from a much smaller comic shop to one here that uh, had a far wider variety of indie books and so that was my first exposure to your work and i still have been dying to read the woods but um yeah no i'm sure that's got to be something if you're thinking like you will be surprised yeah with the woods because what we what we said earlier on about evolution and things changing as it goes the woods is the prime example of that because my my style has nothing to do with wind in the woods yeah and it took me a long time to find it because i had never done anything so long i'll be excited all this name because it's always fun to see where creators have those moments of growth and being able to look back especially after you've read so much post that book so you know for me to go back and read the woods after i've read even through this first issue of zawa it's going to be just fascinating to see where where you've come as an artist 
Yeah, because the with the woods, it was my first. It's called big series <clears throat> because it was. I started it in 2013 because uh, this October, <clears throat> this month, was my 10 uh, year anniversary. Oh, well, congratulations! Yes. Wow. And when I started it, <clears throat> it was supposed to be 12 issues, and that was you know on its own, it was huge. Like 12 issues is like 250 pages. So to do that. It would have doubled my previous experience. Like the previous book I'd done was Amala's Blade. <clears throat> and that was like 88 pages. So coming into this, I was like, okay, this is going to be insane. And now I'm going to like, you know, experience the whole American industry. I'm going to have to draw 12 issues in 12 months, basically. 14 months, because we had a little bit of leeway in the beginning. So the way I was drawing that book was just me panicking the whole time, oh, especially the first 12. The first 12 issues is like, I have to figure out how to get this done efficiently and as quick as possible. So once those first 12 issues go by, then we get into the, look, we're going to have a, like a month break or two. I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was a month or two breaks every four issues just to, just to not make it so crazy. So then I started changing my style up a little bit on the second book, which was adding a little bit of watercolors to give it a little bit more texture because I... Um, I wasn't coloring this book and I always colored my own work. This was the first time I wasn't coloring. So I had to deal with actually drawing something for a colorist. So then we get to the end of the third book, the second book. And that's where I was like, all right, I'm going to do the colors on this because I still don't feel a hundred percent complete as an artist while drawing this. So the whole third book is a hundred percent drawn by me and colored, but it's also like more realistic style. Cool. And then, also, at the same time, I was drawing turtles, so it was kind of like just me being a stupid person and drawing like fifteen page, fifteen issues in a, in a year because I was drawing turtles. At the same time, I was drawing woods. See, so, I only just realized you had drawn that turtles series like within the last month. I learned about that. Yeah, I've done like twelve, 13, seventeen issues of turtles. I'm just <laughs> I save on my library app so I can read them because I'm stoked for that. I love turtles and I haven't had a lot to read, but knowing that. Uh, you're working on those. I'd, I'd love to read the ones that you've done for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Because they're weird. They're weird. It's also, it's at that same thing of me, you know, be, as we were talking about before with Marvel, like being dropped into a universe yeah. and having to like take up the, the you know, what's the word of the, what's that track race that you, you're running, you, you give someone a piece of wood? Relay. Um, yeah, relay. <laughs> relay. It's like doing a relay race. And I'm like, all right, what, what's happened before? Who, where are we? Like getting all the details from previous and then doing, trying to get a little bit of my own spin on some parts and then giving it up to the next person. So it's, it's, it was an experience because that was five years ago when I stopped, four years ago. 2019 was my last issue of Turtles. And I only did those last issues then because it was issue 100 of Turtles. And I couldn't say no to that. And I was already drawing wind at the same time. So I was like, all right, I'm drawing this young adult book and now I'm taking a two-week break to go on and draw half of uh, Turtles issue 100 and then come back again. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of uh, style changes. So that's why now that I get to do my own book with Zawa, it's the, I had to make a, a conscious decision of trying to keep the style going from wind because I have a bad habit of changing styles every now and then. So I think this is the one I'm going to keep for a while, just that. I love it. It, it draws me right in every single time. I, and like I said, it's, it still feels 
separated enough from wind that it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm still reading within that world. It, it still very much feels like its own thing. And that was one of the things I was curious about because having only read wind, I don't have a whole lot of exposure to your art outside of it already. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was very, very curious to see uh, what what to expect from this. And I, I love that it is this blend of familiar for me from wind without being mm-hmm. overly familiar. Um, and I think a lot of that also comes down, if not mostly, to the colors, if, if anything, because um, the world is just so vibrant in Zawa so far that I think it makes it stand out from that, I don't know, more like almost watercolor tone that I associate in my mind with wind, even though it's just that, like, I don't know the right wording for what I would call, mm-hmm. like, even just wind skin tone. Well, wind has a lot of pastel colors. Pastel, um, thank you. Yeah. Because because the whole story has a, a lot of fantasy vibes, I stick to very specific palette, color palettes to give the world the feeling that I want it to be. But with Zawa, it's not a fantasy world. It's kind of a contemporary... It's a bit of everything. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of nature. There's a lot of, of um, industrial disgusting crappy stuff there's a lot of adverts there's gonna be so many so many adverts in this book but um that's the one the one thing that's very different from wind because when i draw uh, cities in wind i just keep i i I use like star trek rules like this is my race like fairies this is what they look like and i have like a, a a template for their whole race but with zawa it's humanity and it's crazy so it's everything. It's kind of like going back to Pipe Town. But with Pipe Town, I haven't been there since 2019. <laughs> we haven't gone back there. So everything everything that has been in wind these last couple of years has been fantastical races that are kind of stereotypical. Like bad guys, black, red, you know, this is their color schemes. This is everything has an edge to it. Everything has a point. Everything can cut you. Then you go fairy race. Everything is nice. It has like an insect um, type, you know, insects, Art Nouveau. Um, the color scheme has to be like with their greens and their turquoises and their yellows and their golds. So I try to keep, you know, a visual, um, like a visual aid. Basically, when you see these colors, it means these guys. When you see these colors, it means these guys. So there's a, there's a bit of a split up because it's a big fantasy story. This one is not. This one is just chaos. I dig it. As a fan of chaos, would see. And Wind is a book that breaks me into the fantasy genre. I don't typically like most fantasy things um, in most regards, honestly. But Wind really, really bridges a gap for me in that it doesn't have the high fantasy element that I struggle with, really. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I really enjoy getting that opportunity to explore some of the more fantasy visual and like environment with, um, with more of something that I can, you know, tolerate. It's not grim fantasy where everything is, you know, brimstone and, and grime. It's, it's a lot lighter and pastel was the exact word I was looking for on those colors. It's those pastels that really, um, bring almost like a, just this lightness in tone, mm. even in the darker scenes, um, when that pastel is kind of removed, you can really feel the tone shift in those moments. And it, it's it's fun to see the tones from like you know 
the bakery in the beginning of Zawa to the, you know, the night drive around the town. Then, like you mentioned, adverts as far as the eye can see. But um, it's very bright, and I don't – yeah, I just love it. Wait till you see issue three. Yeah. Because issue three, we have daytime, finally. Yeah. <laughs> and you see, I have to draw the whole city in daytime, which is a whole different color scheme to it. You know, it's more muted. It's not as colorful as it as it is at night. Nothing it's ever more muted, is. And everything that pops out is just the adverts. That's the color. That's the colorful part of the city. Oh, adverts. I, that's something mm-hmm. that I, I, I know I appreciate. I didn't. I, I, I think that the way you handled the adverts was great because sometimes, um, and even some of my favorite books that handle worlds that are like overly advertised in they'll make them too distracting they don't just like all fit together they're like overtly in your face to i don't know if it's to over satirize it or what but the way that it is here like there's still beauty despite the distractions of yes there's this giant koi fish and there's all sorts of led screens flashing ads at you but it's not it's not pulling away from the words on the page. It's images. It's not, you know, I, I think of one of my, it's funny because it's one of my favorite artists, but Sean Murphy and Tokyo Ghost, the adverts in that mm-hmm. are so just bombarded with like obscenities in it and it can be very distracting, but it serves the same purpose. So I, I like how it's it's less overt in this that it's like, you know, you don't have a speech bubble for each of these LED screens no, no. telling us what it's saying, stuff like that. It's just like, look, this is a world where clearly things are pushed on people the same way that we're seeing stuff on like Times Square in New York City, kind of. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and since the book is mainly about food on that aspect, I'm destroying food on all these on all these big billboards. There's no, <clears throat> there's no you know, mixed messages like, oh, this one's going to be about, you know, cosmetics. This one's going to be about right. a car. Like, no, it's just food. Like, every image has a piece of, you know, something edible or a mascot. There's a lot of mascots. So they're Which all I... like weird, weird, funny creatures. It's it's fun. It, it does add this, it, it's a different style of criticizing the same kind of thing. And I, it, it just, it landed really well for me because I think maybe in my mind, whenever I'm hearing them talk about how crummy this mayor is, uh, I would expect more of an overt, like in your face. Okay. We get it. The ads are all over the place, but I, I like more of the subtlety. And like you say, just food and mascots, it, it gets the mm-hmm. job done. It shows you what you need. And with food being such a focal point, I, I would love to talk about where, um, some of the inspiration for having food as such the center of this story is even more so than you said earlier that the environmental side came in later. So, um, yeah, what brought food into this um, hmm, that's a good question. I think it was more of a. Well, I mean, when I pitched it, I had to like try and get all my messages across. So I just said at the end, at some point, I was like, "I want to draw monsters, food." So I, I, it was like one of the main things I just wanted to draw because I love James. He's one of my good friends, but I've asked him so many times to give me wind food, and he's given me like two pages. <laughs> like he like these characters don't eat they eat off 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 panel right they only have one there's actually the 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 what do you call it the the tavern scene in the first book where you see food being made and we have titus the chef and food is being served so that's when you first get your food and i was like i'm very happy with this i get to draw bacon and eggs 
And then the next time I get to draw food again was in issue was in the the third book when the characters go up to a tavern. So that was like my all right, I'm going to draw food and I'll figure out what they're going to have and everything. So it was like this thing that I just wanted to do because I don't I never I never have the time to do it on my own on like side projects or I they're never in the books that I draw other than turtles where you have pizza. See, it's your inner Miyazaki. It's the inner Miyazaki also. So it was like one of that things. I just wanted to make a book that had food in it so I could explore drawing food. I love that. And it it doesn't really need to be any more than that because the messages you're still able to present surrounding food end up being so much bigger than I wanted to draw a bunch of food. Um, Mm. But it's also, it, it really does ring true. Like you said, Miyazaki meets Del Toro. In that, like I mentioned, these little pastries with the little smiley faces are just—they're just so cute, and everything looks so tasty. Little—it's—it's it's a little you bakery. Mean, you it's mean, so happy. You mean the merchandise cookies? Uh, yes. Because the everything is about about the Guardian of the Mountain. These are all you know stuff that you know it's, it comes down to the main story about selling and the products being pushed onto people. Like even the cookies are a part of the, this world because they are made to celebrate the Guardians of the Mountain. And they have her face on it. See, I didn't connect it that that was supposed to be her face until you say that, but that makes so much oh, no. more sense. And it's... It will... It will uh, that All this will come up. In the, I uh, figure as much down. now that you mention it. I'm like, that feels so intentional now. But... Which is why, in, without getting into anything specific, which is what brings that opening shot, that opening scene we talked about that got added in. I know you said you had moved it. And I think mm-hmm. that... Without knowing where it would have come up as a flashback later on, I, I'm much fonder, especially with our talks, seeing it here where it is. I think it is the perfect setup, especially because – and you know, for the functionality of getting a comic where you want to make sure the named character shows up for your editorial mm-hmm. sake, you know, it does make sense. And I like that it's this more shadowed view at the beginning, but you get this, you know, the foreshadowing here and there, and it's really, really well paced is the other thing. And I think pacing is one of the things that I find to be either the strongest or weakest point of so many comics because – you know, some books I'll read it and I'm like, wait, we're just cutting to this scene all of a sudden. And it feels mm-hmm. like I'm just supposed to have assumed a lot more between the panels than usual. Whereas this, yeah, was- it, it goes so, so smoothly together. Even with that flashback, you see immediately, okay, we're going to a different time frame now. Yeah, because the, also, as you've noticed, I've stolen a page and I've used the credit page as a part of the work also. So it's not 24 pages, it's 25, because I've stolen that page <laughs> from editorial. Like, this is going to be a part, of the, a part of the comic, because I need a big establishing shot. I don't want to <clears throat> make that establishing shot just on the, the first page. I just wanted to bleed into, this, into the... See, and looking the, at it on my laptop, it doesn't show side by side, but I see where you're at now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's one big image of the stars, and every issue has one big image as the first two pages. That's awesome. Oh. I see the connection. See, I, I appreciated like the the aesthetic of the credits page, but I didn't notice because again, it's like up and down all over on mm-hmm. my laptop. I wish. Wait, it so you wait, so you saw the 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 mountain page as a single page, <laughs> not a double spread. The last two pages think- of the book. Oh, that's a double spread too? Yes. Yeah, I, think, I wish that's why I struggle with digital reading. I'm always so eager when the when the physical image comes out. 
I can tell you get like three versions of like Adobe Acrobat or something because there's a that, thing, there's a the, oh, there's a view button. If you press yeah. the view, view in the corner, it says uh, it should say um, two page continue or something like that, oh. and you see pages side by side. Yeah, it depends on where you're looking. At them, but most things hopefully have like a thing to change. To that would that make that. sense. See. I never use Dropbox. I always put it on my drive because that's what works on my phone better. So I need to start reading these on Dropbox because if it does, the, there's the view button. Okay. I can't believe I did not really. I even have that capability and I, and I didn't notice that the credits page was it. I can't stop looking at that now. Yeah, I'm staring at both of those pages now. I keep going back and forth. <laughs> well, see, now I'm even more – and like I said, this book comes out on my – it comes out on my birthday. So what what better book to have to bust out on the big big day and get to see some exciting double-page spreads side-by-side side how they're meant to be? Well, you'll, you'll see before me. That's, that's, <laughs> that's going to be – I'm gonna need I'm gonna need photographs when you get it. Okay. Absolutely, and this will be a book that I make sure to post the back cover of so people can see it. Mm. There's a time when I used to always post the back cover, even if it was a stupid ad, and I told myself that that was annoying people because then they just swipe and see the back cover or something and not care. But this is too cool of a back cover. Like I just I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> you all come back to that color palette. I think yeah, poppy color, pop, poppy colors on the back. I think it's a really cool showcase of how you can have these, like, as, as you said at the beginning, it sort of gets dark, where you can, like, have a very, like, animated and sort of, like, vibrant art style that's, that's like, for an all-ages comic, but have it still telling, like, a serious story. And not even necessarily, like, an overly serious story, but just having those sort of like serious moments where it's like, it's not, it's, it's not all one thing. I think I guess is what I'm saying. Like it's not overly all serious. It's not all jokey. It's sort of got the nice balance of having that levity, those like fun character moments. And we're still like yeah. telling that that serious of tale that you want to get across with like the, like both of the, like the more whimsical, like delightful things with the food and then the more like serious messages with the, like the general like consumerism and eco and yeah and the 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 family story also in the middle with the yes the kids their mom and their dad which was like that was you know it was a good column editor to put that scene in the front because it also shows the father yeah in the flashback and and that helps because then you see the you see the cookies with the the face and you see them on the pastries at the beginning and you're able to say okay cool so that is what their dad was doing and uh, I also I haven't mentioned it yet, but I love mm-hmm. Gobblegeist. Just to say, <laughs> I haven't mentioned it's it yet. Cool but word. It's such a fun word to say. I was staring at that first time that uh, she says it, and it's got the black bubble with the like slime green on it, kind of like looking radioactive. Mm-hmm. I just really really fun panel in particular there. Yeah, it's all those little parts of uh, world building. As I, like, you know, we're gonna have a monster chained up in this factory. There has to be some sort of, you know, urban legend. Right. What's going on? <clears throat> and then the name just like came. Uh, the name was actually in one of my initial pitches, and then I removed it because like, oh, okay, all right. Look at this way. The original pitch was supposed to be about a ghost. Okay. Huh. So <laughs> there's there's been a lot of evolution with this story. So 
Zawa wasn't even the thing. It was supposed to be a hungry ghost. And as the story evolved and then she stopped being a ghost because I didn't want to deal with dead children in the story. And yes. the the word gobblegeist was like this thing I had in the notebook. I was like, I maybe I kinda wanna use that name again. Kinda kinda sounds cool. <laughs> maybe I could you know, make a thing about it. And I told my editor, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this this is the thing. We have to keep this name. We'll keep it in the story. Nice. Now, I like that. That's even, like, I like knowing that it had a little bit of a different origin. And mentioning, you know, the origin of that name there, I was curious because I, I was wondering where the name Zawa came from, if you had anything or if you just, it was oh, strictly that's, the way it was. No, no, that's a, that's a whole story on its own. Bring it on. Uh, Zawa is actually, what's the word, isn't it? Not an acronym. It's It's the first syllables of and i keep forgetting where it? i have it open here uh zashiki warashi is a japanese yokai so i got the za and the wa from zashiki warashi and that was like a template name zawa was a template name until i found something better because i going back to the original origin of what my first idea of the story was going to be about ghosts the the, the zashiki warashi is the ghost of a dead child oh, that that haunts a house and the only way to make the, the child stop um screwing up the things is to feed it oh that's so fun that's fascinating that's really fascinating yes. so all these little bits from various ideas that i had suddenly all came into this creature zawa and the story about her being the mountain deity that's so fun i'm so glad that i asked because i was curious from the moment i saw it i was like that's just a fun i just like saying it so i was curious if there was more to it than just the way it sounded and that's such a fun origin of that name Mm. and also the original name of the book was we feed the dead oh see yeah and not wanting to work with a dead kid uh, I get why you would change the name. <laughs> yeah, but also like the we feed the we feed the dead title had lots of meaning to it also because it's like the feeding the <clears throat> the the zombie population of all these mindless workers. Oh, damn! You're speaking my language, see, Michael. See, this story has very dark elements that were gonna be way darker in the first pitch. Yeah. And and as they evolved, they become they became lighter, but also the message stayed there. So I get to tell the same story, but not make it a hundred percent a horror story. See, because I mean, those final pages, I'm I'm just grinning like an idiot reading it, reading those final words again, because mm-hmm. that's when I was like, oh, it's this kind of story, huh? That's that's gonna be fun. I I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure if this was gonna be like maybe a a rescue mission or a. You know, I, you know, not knowing anything from it, you just see this cool character design on the cover. So getting into it and like really hitting that spot where I was already engulfed in the world. I loved the characters we were meeting. Everyone was nice and like they're they're fun to enjoy and read along with. Um, very emotive too. And then you get to the end, you're like, okay, well, what? Where's this Zawa girl gonna come in? And holy cow, does her role as it is presented at the end of this? It fascinates me to no end. Yeah, she's she's basically a she's basically a god, not really a god, but she's a small god, and she will have to deal with a lot of anger and why humanity did the things that happened to her. And there's a whole lot of you know saving nature from the kids, like being the next generation to step up and save the world from its you know 
destruction from the, the older generations. And also, uh, you know, if nature wants to actually spare humanity for all the, the crap that it's been doing. There's, there's a lot in there. It's beautiful, man. It It's truly beautiful. And just like when I first read Wind and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that there's a world where you know, a generation of younger people who get access to stories like these because I didn't have access to stories like these until much later in life. So, you know, I came across wind. I would have been mm, 25, I think, when I first read it. And now a week away from 27, you know, thinking back, like I didn't have stuff like that. I didn't have any queer representation in the stuff I was reading growing up. Um, I didn't have anything talking about, you know, the children saving the world. I didn't have even something as simple as Miss Marvel's Generation Y to talk about, you know, older generations using up the younger generation to extend their lives with no hope for the future to support the younger generation. So to see more and more stories like these come up, especially, so, I mean, when I see the boombox title, I'm always excited. And to know that you were behind it again, I was like, this is going to be great because for you to be half the mind behind wind, you have to be about the same kind of concepts presented in that story. And so I'm very eager to see what all comes up throughout this. I did have a question that – it's one of those Mm -hmm. questions that I I hate to ask because in the event that there isn't anything, I don't want it to be like a a strike on your card by any means. But I was genuinely just curious um, because I've spoken so much about the queer representation in Wind if there is any of that we could expect to bleed over into Zawa. Hmm. I don't think so. You could read you can read into some parts, some characters, but it's not part of the story. Totally. And like I said, that's why I was like, do I even ask this question? But I don't ever want to ask it as like a if you don't have queer representation in it, then it's not good because that's not the case. Because you have so much more that's going on in this story than the queer representation that very much mm. fits Wynn's storyline. But I, it is something that I'm always curious about to see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm just as eager to see um, this discussion of climate and consumerism in this lens of like you said you know a, a younger reader story where i feel like mm. there's there's things that have slowly come out over time that really point to that but nothing that has landed as hard for me as something like wind where I, was, I read wind and i was like what i wouldn't have done to have this as a as a young child yeah well the thing is like i i struggled when i was uh, starting off the story because i was thinking you know should i try and you know make some of my characters but i couldn't that's the thing like it it just didn't fit like it didn't fit in the story to have that also part of it and also the thing is when it's five issues and the five issues being normal size and not double size like wind was there's really just enough space to get the main story across which is all about zawa and her anger so i kind of just leave some characters up to whatever you you know the reader wants to put into i think that totally works because it's in like you say with a five issue series that was and you know i know you mentioned that like boom's Mm. talking about potentially uh uh, continuing on but you know you only have so much to work with and it's better to not have it explicitly there for the sake of just being like hey it's there technically and then you know saving it for genuine moments of representation is always preferred than just having it for the sake of having it um, yeah because my story has <clears throat> especially with the teen characters the the their story is more about grief and what happened when their father died 
and what the situation is with their mother. That's their story. It's not about who, who they are. It's about what has happened to them in their lives on yeah. this level. And as as young people in this world, what they can do to save it. So representation was, you know, not going to fit no. with the, the, hun- the 130, 150 pages. You have to, I have to figure out how many pages this book is. Oh, man, yeah, you that. said you got extra pages in the last two issues? Three. Three. Last three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Why do Max not have a calculator? I need someone to. Ugh. Like, there's a there's a calculator on your phone. There's not a calculator. There's no calculator on your iMac on your iPad. And I'm sure is there a calculator here? Why? Uh, yeah. See, I have a Mac that is just like the one I use because my fiance oh, there's one. had it always, okay. but I. I just can't even fathom ninety percent of Apple interfaces. Like, I remember seeing someone from like there's a on their for their keynote things. Someone asked the, one of the guys like, "When can we see a calculator on the iPad?" He's like, "Oh, we still haven't figured out you know how to make it new and fresh." And they like, just give me a bloody calculator. New and fresh? <laughs> You're not reinventing the wheel. It's just adding numbers, my guy. Yeah. So literally on the iPad, I had to download a third party calculator that is so <laughs> bizarre so i love them but i hate them for this kind of stuff uh that's it reminds exactly me of anything that would drive me nuts about them too all right it's 137 pages nice okay that's a lot it's a lot especially when when i started off i didn't know if i had 100 pages of me yeah huh. yeah how exciting man Especially to know that yeah. you you had so much more that you're like, look, I need I need what you said four extra pages in the last three. I, I wanted the whole issue. <laughs> they were like, hey, no, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, let's see how it goes first, and then we can talk about the sixth issue. I'm like, wait, by the time you know, by the time we hear about how you know what the numbers are, I'm probably going to be over that point, that part that's troubling me. So right. You know, so I've got an extra four. So, you know, every the third, fourth, and fifth issues are basically 29 pages each. See, we talked about this with Kelly Thompson as well in regards to the Cole versus something like any of the longer form stories that she's written. Um, and are you really, really feeling that crunch of? I know that the wind books are, you know, the double length and all that but to have just the five issues to tell your story in even with the potential of going on further it had to be pretty daunting to think yeah. how to get all of this crunched into one is just the only thing i can ever think about well the, the big hurdle for me was the third issue because i had <clears throat> the first two issues was i knew exactly what i was doing because the beginning of the story and i kind of know 100 i kind of know like 80 percent of what's happening in the last issue and I knew what issue four had to be for the story to come to the climax, that would, which is issue five. So my big struggle was the third issue. So the third issue was me being like, I need to get these people here. This needs to happen. This needs to be fleshed out. More characters need to you know, get their roles in place and set up what's going to happen in issue four. And that was my big problem. So I didn't know how many pages that I needed. That was the big issue for me because... Um, draw, like doing with wind it's like 250 pages I'm used to drawing a whole book which is 250 pages so my mind has always been stuck in that that's that specific pace and how things um, you know roll out yeah so now that I'm dealing with 100 pages less it was kind of like oh wait I need to speed things up here I need to you know try and uh, what was my editor keep saying to me 
uh, economy in storytelling. Oh, so, that's okay. That's yeah, a really so that's good way of I, saying that. Yes, yeah, so that's how I brought in like captions into the story. I know a lot of writers don't like captions, but I love captions, and it always weirded me out that no one uses them, especially with wins. Like I would expect James to have captions in that book, you know, to give a little bit more flavor to the world and explain some things that you know characters can't vocally explain. You need some other elements because you can only do a certain amount of things with images and with your characters actually doing some exposition. So that's why I I brought in a a voice from you know Bandit. I think it's pretty pretty for it's pretty uh, self-explanatory. Who's speaking, right? You talking like throughout? Yeah, the, the blue and pink bubbles. The, the the captions. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 voice. Okay. So bringing him in to talk about the story was a big part of what happens at the end of the book. So I needed him to tell the story. I needed him to tell you the story. So you're you're listening to this story told by Bandit. That's also something I never mentioned, but his mm-hmm. his bubbles of narration are, are like just great color combo. I know I keep going back to the colors <laughs> as frequently as I do, but it's like... It's a very colorful book. <laughs> it is such a very colorful book. It's, it's a Skittles of colors at some point. And it's like the good pack of Skittles, not just original Skittles. It's the... the sour, sour Skittles. Those are the well, still the same color. It's the freaking the blue and purple bags. They got brighter colors in them. <laughs> I know. The ones I have in front of me right now are the, are the, the sour ones. I have the purple, yellows, and reds. I respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it's it was kind of hard. You know, a lot of economy. Like I, that was the only way I could get things to speed up. Like give it a nice establishing shot. Have have your character explain things in the caption on a separate timeline. And that that's uh, that's a feature that I will use whenever I whenever I uh, need to like get a little bit more information in there that can't be told with the actual um, story itself. So yeah, when I get to the when I get to the end of the book, oh, it's gonna be a good one. Like I'm very, I'm very curious to see what what people think about how the story ends. And <laughs> you're gonna to have to wait till March. I know that's so far away. Mm-hmm. That really is so far away. When I stop and think about like how long I'm gonna have a book with me, I'm yeah, that's the bad thing with comics. You know, it's every month. It's every month, yes. and sometimes it comes and it goes so quickly. There's. I have finally reached a point where I don't work at the comic shop regularly enough to just pick up my books every week. And it's mm-hmm. such a bizarre sensation to be so far out of the weekly flow of books that like I feel like I just read the latest issue of Harley Quinn a week ago and I already have the next issue in my box. And it's like how is stuff already coming out so fast? And then there's other books where I'm like, when did this issue come out last? And it's one of those that is like secretly a quarterly book or something. Yeah, a lot of them are, are, are doing these weird things. Right? Like the distillery books, I thought they were monthly. I was 100% sure they were monthly. Are they not? But they're not. No, they're not. What are they then? I think they're bi-monthly. Oh. I suppose that makes sense. It, it, it like doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't, because they are double-sized. Yeah. So if you're given one every two months, it's basically not getting... The, you're not getting the story quicker. You're getting just getting oh, yeah. a two-month two break. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's... I, I thought it was going to be like... Because I know every book is going to be three issues. So three issues of 40, 45 pages. So you'd get that story over three months. But no, you'd get it over six months. Oh, well, yeah. I plead the fifth. 
That's a conundrum. And I think, and I think some of the black label ones are also doing this. Yeah, black label is interesting because some black label, I feel like it's on top of it, and it'll be month to month. Some of the prestige ones will be bi monthly. Some of the prestige ones will, you know, I know that the one that comes to mind the most is a poor example because there was a family issue with one of the artists but sometimes those prestige Mm. issues take months and months to come out and they don't come out in a consistent manner for a three issue series you get a four month gap between one issue and a two month gap between one issue and then some issues where it's like two months in between one and you know a month between the next and the inconsistency in release schedules is something that has always drawn me to think, so then why don't they just write the books and then release them once they're done? But yeah. you got to bring the money in, and I get it. So uh, it, it is fascinating to see how various things go. I'm excited that I'll be able to get Zawa month to month, though. Um, I mean, would, like the same thing with Wings, because it's double size. Like I would start, let's, let's say I'll start in January. The If I start in January drawing... That would mean it would take me up until November to finish it. Wow. So November will probably be the month it goes to print. So that last issue would come out in December. <laughs> so if that last issue comes out in December, that would mean the previous, the first issue of the of the five issue series would come out for four months prior. So while so by the time we get to the first issue going to print, I would have been already working on the book like six or seven months. So we would have like two, three issues ready to go because they're double sized. But when the last issue is ready to go to print, that's when I'll be right crunching to get it to the, the finish line. Damn. Timelines are so fascinating in this industry because it really does just, it doesn't feel like there's any strict rule as far as the timelines mm. go. It does feel like it is kind of book by book almost but it's just such a something that's always in- intrigued me about this industry because it's one of those things that without the consistency it's one of the least predictable things i would say there mm. is uh whether it be like you know a book taking a hiatus could be a hiatus anywhere from like a month to three years or more um and so it's always always interesting talking to creators about those timelines and especially you know having three books of wind done knowing pretty consistently okay each of those books took about this long and this is the timeline it is cool to know approximately where you would be and like knowing now that you're working on issue three as issue one is getting ready to drop of zawa so yeah issue two goes to print in two weeks nice and then issue three will be in six weeks so i would have to finish the artwork in the next couple of weeks so by uh, by the time it goes to print i'll be nearly finishing issue four <laughs> the, the math the schedule the schedule of getting everything done in time i'm 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 more afraid of the last issue yeah because i want big, i want big things to happen in the last issue and those big things might take a little bit longer to draw so yeah that's gonna be fun there are more crowd there. scenes in that final issue city scenes fair I figure that's probably pretty comparable if, as far as stressors go. <laughs> yeah, like buildings and mountains. Yeah, it's going to be big. Yeah, but let's let's finish writing issue four. Right. So I can... Um, do it. Yeah, so I can, you know, when I get to that last issue, I have to make some big, big decisions because I have three ideas that I want to do and I want to make sure which is the right one to go with. That's the thing. There's, I, there's a temp. There's a template. There's a. There's an outline of what that what will happen. But some details are still 
you know, formulating, especially big climax ones seem to figure out. It's exciting to hear you talk about the future after hearing you talk about the the holdup <laughs> on issue three. Well, I have to. I have to. And the one thing I'm really, 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 really can't wait to is when I finish the book, I take a month off and just like chill out <laughs> for a month. Yeah, no kidding. And maybe finish Zelda at some point. Well, Joe, I only have my last fun wrap-up question as mm-hmm. usual. Did you have anything else you had today? No, I think that about covers it. But it's like you, you can only talk about so much in, 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 in the time. And we, we, when it's not yeah, out, exactly. We, we, we always appreciate uh, any time these creators give, especially when they talk to us for almost two hours. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we kind of spoke around the, the first issue enough and, and not to get into too many details, but we did talk about most of it. I mean, it's only 25 pages. <laughs> How much can you talk yeah. about it? Right. Well... That just brings us to our fun one, Michael. We always mm-hmm. like to ask because so many folks out there see an artist working on their own creations all the time. And I know that there's the appeal to seeing um, some of your favorite characters drawn by your favorite creators. So we always ask people if you could uh, write or draw any IP and you just got free will to you know write it, draw it however you wanted. Uh, what, you got an IP in mind that you'd really love to work on? I've already done it. Turtles. It is turtles. Yeah, I was wondering. Turtles. That's awesome. And that's I mean, for me because, like, when whenever Joe sent me the post you did for the movie, I was just like, "Holy crap, that poster is amazing!" How come all these foreign posters get the best posters? And then I saw you post it as it was yours. I was like, "Oh shit, that was Michael's work." No wonder I got hooked on it. But that poster, <laughs> I want that in my room. I don't care if I can't read it. Like, I want that in my room. That is so cool. I mean, the, the logo was really weird to see because I asked yeah. them, hey, can you guys give me the logo to put on the cup, put on the poster? And they sent it. I was like, this is huge. This is like, it's I forget. It's a massive logo. I don't even remember I what feel- country that poster was Greek. from. It, it was Greek, it's right? Like, yeah. I, was I like, thought so. I, I forget how long the word turtles are. Not turtles, like the actual, because in Greek, it's a made up word. It's hieronymzaikia, which means ninja turtles in one word. So it's Hielona, which is turtle, and Ninza, which is ninja. And if you put Aika on the end, it's like small. So it's small ninja turtles. That's, that's nice. So that so that's the whole word in on on the on on the logo. And then I only realized then it's like, oh yeah, we don't have the teenage mutant part, the teenage mutant ninja ninja part, which is an extra part on top of the turtles in yeah, the in so the normal just... logos. So that whole part is not on the logo. That whole, you know, the, the red um, part, which is above the word turtles. So yeah, it was very interesting to see how big it was. No, it's it's fun, and it, it, that was also just a fun flick. I'm I'm a huge turtles fan, so like oh, I said, great. whenever I saw it was only just I think within this last month I was on the my library app and I was like, let's see what else they have other than uh, the woods that I need to read by you. And I was like, oh shit, mm. he worked on Ninja Turtles. The fun thing is with that movie. It's not a fun thing. I'm very, very curious to see where they go from now with yeah. this property. Like, it left off in the weirdest place. It did like, leave the off in the weirdest place. Yeah, they're part of society, and they go to school. But it's like, where where do we go from here? Now they just, uh, I guess, because, you know, having not read a ton of Turtle stuff, I don't know if there's ever been much of a time whenever they were, like, working in the public eye so much. As Not like, really. do they have this, you know, very 
not so secret identities anymore, obviously, because they're out and about going to school and you can just like follow them home and through the sewers or whatever. Like I, I was interested in that, but I also, it was so fun to see those characters get to just be kids. Um, I know that was the big selling point of this, of the movie actually, you know, hearing these kids be kids. Exactly. Was... And having like actual teenage voice actors, getting them to, you know, mm-hmm. I heard that, you know, yeah. Donatella wears a Jojo font hoodie at one point jojo's bizarre adventure mm. and that voice actor had told the directors they're like hey what other animes are like really popular right now that you guys like and so they <laughs> made donatello <laughs> yep well and that was hilarious they had already had attack on titan references prior um and so uh they ended up putting in the jojo hoodie for him and i was like that's just cool as hell to have these kids and having them actually record in the same phone booth like not in the phone mm. booth, but in the same yeah. recording booth i think that just made it that much more fun but no no it was really good like I would have loved if they referenced uh, My Hero Academia because that's my personal favorite of the nice. of the new shonens. Like I just read before we started, I just read the new chapter. Nice. I am so ready, ready for that series to end. Like it's it's we're right there. We're like inches away from the final battle. Oh yeah. Like, See, oh, yeah. I, I haven't read it. I I've watched the f- first four seasons, and I I don't know where it's at now, but I know I missed season five so far. But that's one I need to get back into because I loved watching it. It's one of the few animes that really actually clicked with me. Yeah, I think I've watched the first three seasons at least five times each. Nice. Because I I constantly have it like playing as I work, and when I start with it episode one i just just keep on going and i know for the next next month i'm just gonna be watching my hair academia while i work getting all the story beats crying every time at the same story parts and seeing where the the story goes i'm not sure they're gonna be able to do it in anime yeah it's it gets super dark like it has dark moments but it's these kids are basically crippled at this point at the end of the story where we are oh wow they are People are dying left and right. People are losing limbs and everything. It wow. is a final battle. Like this final battle has been going on for a year. Oh jeez. Yeah, it's it's very big and it gets very very like even the imagery is in the manga is just so so disgusting and dark and bloody. That's and surprising. Like, it, but I think it always was. I guess but it then, was. Then when you really when watched you him watch break his arm over and over again, I remember being kind of grossed out at that by the first time I saw yeah. it. But it gets it gets harder, like especially with this, the backstory of um, Shigaraki. Oh his yeah, his backstory in the manga is disgusting. In the that's in not the a surprise. show, it's very very dumbed down. Okay, so then they have gotten to that point; they dumbed it down. Yeah, and I, I keep, and there's a lot of po- little parts in the story that, that are coming up that I'm not sure they're going to be able to animate everything to make it look good. It the the end the, the manga goes hard. Like, we're talking about superpowers, not superpowers, we're talking about mechs and the cities getting destroyed. And, like, these people doing the show, they're producing it on such a tight schedule because they're doing 24-episode seasons, and it's nearly yearly. It's not exactly every year, like, a couple of extra months, but they should be taking more time, especially with these last seasons. Because if you're looking at Jujutsu uh, Kaisen, it was two years until the second season started. And then when you see the second season, you're like, oh, the animation is top. Like, yeah. everything happening here is amazing. Like, the final season that came out of My Hero Academia is not, not, not remotely close to that level. And the more anime I've been watching lately, the more beautiful they are. And, you know, just amazing animation, top level. And then I'm watching My, My Hero Academia, like, this is 
this is cartoon level now. It's not as good, and it should be because the story is good, especially at the end. So well, I'm I, excited I kinda, to keep going with that eventually. I, I kind of hope they like take some time and just do it better, or you know, be a good adaptation and start stripping things out of the manga and just focusing on some other points. You know, it doesn't have to be you know scene by scene exactly the same. That's one of the big problems and. It's a, it's a plus and a, it's a plus it's a positive and a negative for manga and animes. They do everything exactly story beat wise. Like if you read a book and then you watch the anime, it's the same thing. Even you know the way things are drawn and everything, even what the characters are saying. But sometimes you know the manga isn't you know made to be adapted exactly. It would be nice for it to be changed up a little bit and made it a little bit stronger or a little bit faster paced yeah that makes sense and i'm always of the mind especially with adaptations that as nice as it would be to see certain things adapted really well like i Mm -hmm. think that if an indie book of mine that i really love is going to get adapted i want accuracy there more so than i want accuracy with the next mcu installment um so it's always interesting to see the difference in how some of that media is done on the like the Japanese front where you've got, like you say, the anime and the manga pretty well coincide. Yeah. Hmm. But I've been through this before because like with the woods, we had uh, active development for at least four or five years on making a show out of it. And being on the receiving side of getting scripts from various um, writers that are you know, adapting the work, it was very weird seeing how the source material can be interpreted different ways. But we had options where it was like exactly the same. And we had options where the kids weren't the, the, the focal point of the show. They were the, you know, they were focused more on the adults. So we've, we've seen all these different ways that a story can be told. And there's no easy way. There's no correct way because the show will always be a different thing to the comic. Right. Unless That's it's so, such an interesting perspective to have. No, like from a creator looking at the look, this is in production, and you're actually getting scripts where they're taking it a different route each each way. Um, mm. I bet that's. It took I me years to understand being, this. <laughs> yeah, I, I could imagine that being frustrating as well, of course, because you're like, wait, this is what you got out of our story. Not just that, because like if you once you read, read the woods, there's a lot of sci-fi. There's a lot of there's aliens, there's uh, different cultures that are living on this planet. So it is very high budget for a TV show. Yeah. And that's where I understood the, okay, there are limitations. Same with like Paper Girls. I was just going to say... That's exactly what Paper Girls fell into, is that it was very high budget if they wanted to do it spot on for the book. And it made sense, the decisions that they made in the first season to tweak things because of where it would have put the budget accordingly um but then yeah. of course i feel like that gets canned and yeah and the, and it was from amazon yep and at the same time amazon was putting out you know a 750 million dollar um, adaptation of a fanfic of lord of the rings gotta love it yeah. i am enjoying so what they're like, doing with the boys but i've never read the comics oh, the boys has been also Invincible, yeah. uh, I find it quite interesting how Kirkman has said he's sort of getting to do like a almost like a director's cut of Invincible for when he's developing the, the, the animation the, on Amazon and the TV show. Which I was always interesting yeah. in terms of this conversation. Brian Lee O'Malley said the same thing with Scott Pilgrim versus the world for the new anime. He's like, You guys have oh. read the book, you've seen the movie, it's going to be something different in the show. Look, I love the comic, it's one thing, 
the movie. I, I love it even more because it's Edgar Wright and he did the best job ever adapting that comic, especially when he started making that movie without the end of the book. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, wow. So, I didn't so, know that. Yeah. The end of the book is different. The end of the book, the book, diff- the book ends different as uh, compared to the movie because they didn't, he hadn't drawn it yet. So he, he had the Edgar Wright had the notes and they decided to make something that would work better in the story that was told in a two hour movie, which makes sense. Yeah. Because the book right. is like seven volumes, nine volumes, how many volumes can't remember. Something like that. So so now that the animation is coming out in a couple of weeks, I'm very interested to see that because it's my favorite animation studio. What's Science studio Saru. Done? Okay. Science Saru. They're the guys who did Devil Man Crybaby, which is Bloody amazing. I've, seen I've heard times. really good things about it, but I've also, it's one of the few animes I've been told directly not to watch for my own personal reasons. I don't remember what those reasons were, but they were like, I know you and you would hate it. So I've it, not tried it, but brutal. I've heard great things. It's yeah. brutal. Like, there's a certain episode where I've seen it three times, and every time it gets there, I'm like, I'm crying every time. Like, why did I, why did, you know, this, this specific beat hits me every time I get to it? And, you know, animation is amazing. And plus this studio, and they put out three things in one year. They put out Devilman Crybaby. They put out an amazing story called Lulu Over the Wall, which is about a, a, <clears throat> about a fishing village in Japan. And they have a whole history with um, uh, rival mermaids. And these kids discover this sm- small mermaid uh, while they're doing, while they're practicing, you know, playing music for their band, and the mermaid like pops up and starts dancing to the music, and they start becoming friends. It's very good, and I think they put out. I can't remember what the third one was, but anyway, everything that they do, I'm a huge fan of. And like they put out one uh, a couple of years ago called uh, Ino Ino O, which is a f- Japanese folk tale about this guy in the mask, and it's, it's like typical you know, um, Edo period hotels, but it's also told as a musical with glam rock. <laughs> so there's a lot of like really cool musical numbers in this, in this, uh, weird 1800s Japan. It's very weird. So yeah, so seeing them actually doing they're, they're those people being the guys that are going to do the, um, Scott Pilgrim was like, great. You've got music because I've seen it in multiple shows that how, how the music plays a big role in the story. And I love their animation. So that'd be awesome. Then it looks cool. Mm-hmm. Every time I see it, I just watched a trailer the other day. I'm excited for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, so a couple of weeks. But today we have to watch Pluto. Yeah, which know is the Pluto is the uh, ad- it's an um, adaptation of Astro Boy, oh. but told but told in a like a, a police thriller whodunit, <laughs> realistic. Like the Astro Boy, the kid who plays like Astro Boy, is like just looks like a kid. Like everything's more realistic. It's the guy who did Monster, which is about a serial killer. Oh, and Twentieth uh, Century Boys. I have to look that up. I haven't heard of those. Okay. Uh, they're all good. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. that's all I've got for now, Joe. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate your time today, Michael. This has been so much fun and such mm-hmm. a pleasure. No, it was great. A great, great time talking about things that were on my mind. Yeah, thank you for your time and just. I hope everyone decides to, to, to go pick up the book because um, I think we love it at least. We think it's awesome and we're very excited for it to, to come out and for the rest of it to release over the next several months. <laughs> several months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, well, like, how, it's like, how do I want to say that? Do I want to say like 
few months or five months or like, I'm, I'm gonna go several this time that feels appropriate well if it's coming out um, next month it'll be five, five months so say five months <laughs> yeah um i'm more excited when the actual book comes out like i love my issues yes. but i want the book i want that, the that's final gonna be product. gorgeous yeah i want to say to people this is it read the read the book read the story yeah yeah begin begin yeah. middle end wow it's gonna be interesting Michael, yeah yeah michael have a nice uh rest, rest of your evening and then might have a nice mm-hmm. rest of your day thank you i'm gonna continue Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, that most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.